Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. I am the pastor of student ministries here at Perimeter Church, or pastor of the Watershed, the high school ministry. And this is my wife, Cammie, and uh, she's going to be co-teaching with me today because we're talking about a subject matter. We're going to be talking about relationships between mothers and daughters and fathers and sons today. Um, Just to kind of kick off an an issue that we have seen happen throughout. And normally I I start with a media presentation, you know, kind of how culture is intersecting with us. And I'm deviating from that a little bit today. We're going to show some long media clips within our within our discussion, our general discussion. And uh, we also, today, one of the things that's, that's different, so kind of replacing that time is gonna be, uh, we're doing some ministry changes to Watershed and J-High this fall. And so Matt and I are going to be discussing those changes with you at the end of our time today. So we'll be giving you kind of a preview of what Watershed and J-High are gonna look like this fall. And we wanted to leave some time for that. So that is kind of taking over the media moment, 15 or 20 minutes that I usually do at the front end is going to be at the back end, and it's going to be Matt and, and myself explaining all of our ministry changes. So that's what's happening as far as that goes. So let me pray, and we'll just jump right into our teaching time today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for parents and the privilege of being a parent. We ask you to... Um, Lord, just guide us and give us wisdom, discernment, patience, perseverance, um, joy in our parenting. And uh, thank you for the Perimeter Church and the opportunity to to teach, to discuss these issues as parents. And uh, we just love you. And we ask that you, by the power of your spirit, through the the presence of of, uh, your power in the word of God, that you would teach us that we would be winsome in our approach as we look at culture and media, and um, Lord, that you would uh, fill us with your spirit as we, as we talk about these vital relationships between parents and kids today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So as we're trying to come up with what our curriculum's going to be and things that we're going to discuss, how did we decide to talk about mo- uh, mothers and daughters and fathers and sons this week in particular? Uh, several years ago... I actually have a, a guy's small group that I meet with as juniors and seniors on Sunday nights, and we meet after all of the discipleship groups end, and usually go till about 10 o'clock at night on Sundays. And that's something that I've been doing for about 10 years. Uh, I did it at my previous church as well. And Polly, when she was on staff, she's since had a child and, and moved off staff, but a few years ago, she had a, a girls' group that was similar to my group that met later. And... Every once in a while, just for fun, we would put our two groups together, and the girls and guys would sit around and ask each other questions, and and it was pretty fun to mix that up. And this uh, one year in particular, we were talking, and and usually there's a give and take, like girls are asking questions like, what do you you look for in a girl? And and the guy, you know, they're just kind of having a candid discussion with Polly and I right there. But this, this one year, one of the girls got really serious for a second and looked and said to the, one of the guys, she said, what is your relationship like with your father? Like, what, how is your relationship? Is it easy? Do you feel like you guys are close? And 
that particular students, you know, and I knew, I know all the guys in my group, I know their families, and I know they all had pretty good relationships with their dads. But he said, you know, I, would, I can't say that it is. I can't say that it's close. It's kind of strained. It's kind of difficult. And then they went around the room, and every single guy in my group confirmed that. And then, of course, he reciprocated the answer to her and said, all right, well, what about you? Are you close to your mom? And every single girl in the group, without exception, confirmed that that was a difficult relationship. And that's when, kind of for me, to say, okay, this is an issue (laughs) that we probably should discuss, that there is, especially as you move into the later teen years, there is a an issue where it's difficult for that same-sex relationship between mothers and daughters and fathers and sons and how that plays itself out. As Cami and I started preparing for this, it was a difficult task, as you might imagine, because there's no proof text that you can just go to and say, well, let's do a Bible search on mothers and daughters. What do you think we found? There's not squat <laughs> in the Bible that really unpacks a mother-daughter relationship. Uh, not, not, not in a clear, oh, wow, you can just bam, there you go. Uh, fathers and sons, what do you think we found? Very dysfunctional, whacked out. There's a lot of father-son relationships, but, you know, we've got Abraham who tried to kill Isaac. Um, you've got Absalom who tried to kill his dad. Uh, we have uh, Isaac who plays favorites with, you know, Jacob and Esau. The patriarchs are kind of a case study in dysfunctional fatherhood. Uh, which always gives me hope when I feel bad. I can kind of look at the Bible and go, wow, look how messed up they were, and they were God's favorite. So there's some hope we can take from that. But it's not that we can say, here's a model for how to do it right, necessarily, from Scripture. And so what we're going to do today, and we really want this to be more, a little more of a discussion, and we're not up here saying, thus saith the Lord, do this. But we, we, we feel like there are some insights that we can glean specifically from the way God uniquely created men and women that can give us some insight into some of the difficulties that stem from this relationship. Um, and it all starts at the fall. I mean, that's, that's where we have to start with. I, I laughed when Jeff said that Abraham, Isaac, because we've kind of all been there where we wanted to kill our children, not because God told us to, but because they're driving us crazy. Or is that just me? I'm the only one, maybe. Um, It starts with the fall because in it, um, Genesis 3, God says to woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The pain we women feel in childbirth is not just in that moment where we deliver a child. It's also in this kind of struggle between sin. It's the sin in our own hearts. It's the sin in the world that we see wrecking havoc on our children. It's the sin in our children's lives. And how that plays out in mother-daughter relationships is the end of that where God says that a woman's desire will be for her husband. That's not a sexual desire. That's a desire for control. And that's why in Colossians 3, Paul tells women, wives to submit to their husbands because kind of the opposite of this desire to be in control and control our circumstances is this submission. So when you have a mother and a daughter in a household, 
there's kind of this battle for control. I, I, I hope you guys have seen that, you know, kind of this battle for control. When, the, when little girls are little, they'll, they'll abdicate um, control to their mothers because they're bigger and stronger and smarter and meaner and whatever. But when they're, when they're becoming teenagers, they begin to question. And the answer, because I said so, some doesn't seem to satisfy anymore. And so you kind of see this struggle. Um, for me... Cheers, our oldest is, is just entering this. Jeff and I have been in youth ministry a long time watching this kind of dynamic of mothers and daughters. And, and I can tell you honestly, um, having lived with one foot in teen ministries my whole parenting life, I've, I've tried to circumvent it. I've been like, okay, when she's little, I'm going to tell her all these things. And then when she's a teenager, it'll be easier. It didn't work out that way. It's much harder to be the mother, mother of a teenager than it is to be a youth leader of teenagers, um, because they're there all the time. They never leave. <laughs> um, so for me, Tirza, last summer was kind of a hard, we were struggling, we were in a hard patch, and we were struggling so much over chores. And it was, you know, it was one of those situations where I would say, do the dishes, and two hours later, she hadn't done the dishes, or pick up your clothes, and two hours later, she still hadn't picked up her clothes, and she's intending to do it, but I'm going insane in response to this kind of passive-aggressive. And, and we were just, you know, just at odds with each other and fighting, and I went over to one of my dear friend's houses, and I was just tied myself up in knots, you know? Have you been there? Um, I was just completely nuts, and, she, and my beloved friend, who so godly gave me a little bit of perspective, she's like, what are you afraid of, that she's going to grow up and have a dirty house? And I went, what am I afraid of? Why am I so tied up in knots over dishes or over laundry? And, and what I have to confess to you is the issue wasn't the laundry, the issue wasn't um, the dishes, the issue was control. And she and I were kind of in this power play for who was in charge and who's in control. And it can, it can really escalate quickly. Um, we bring home these children and we have this kind of illusion of being in control because when they're little, we are kind of. We choose their friends. We choose where they go, what they do, who they talk to. You know, we have an illusion of control, but we don't get to keep that. In the teen years, there's part of our equipping them to be mature is, is this giving up of control. And if you're like me, that's really hard. Um, I like rules and I like predictability and I like to know the outcome and I like structure. And I'm so thankful Jeff is my husband because he talks me through it so often. Um, it, that came to bear too, because he wanted to give her, um, tears a cell phone. And I was just responding with like, no, you know, I, I didn't want her to have one. It was an opening into this whole world that I would no longer be in control of. And so I was sat down with him and I was like, okay, you can give her, we'll give her a cell phone, but you have to give her this rule. And if she talks too much, then this will be the result. And if she, da, 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 da. and I like had 50 things, you know, if then, if then, if then. And Jeff just looked at me and he shook his head and he was like, honey, we're not going to assume she's going to get it wrong. We're not going to be surprised when she gets it wrong, but we're not going to set it up. This is entering into an ambiguous time where you can't control everything. And I just remember going, I don't like that. That does not make me feel happy. Like it's insecure and it's, it's unknown. And so what happens when you have this kind of struggle for control with mothers and daughters is you kind of 
it, it reveals in, it, for, for, for moms, it can reveal your insecurities and your fears because you're in uncharted territory. It doesn't feel like you have anything to hold on to or, you know, you're losing control and that can be really hard. And what happens is, is those kind of are the underlying currents in your relationship with your daughter. And so you're kind of a and you're kind of insecure and you're struggling with all of these emotional reactions because you're losing control. You're losing a relationship that you knew what the what role you played. And as, as they're growing, your role is changing. And so all of those kind of go into undercurrents. And then you have a conflict with them, like the dishes or something that maybe doesn't even matter that much to you, but it kind of taps into all of those emotions that are going underneath and unseen. And so I have a commercial that I wanted to show you guys um, that kind of shows that picture. Okay. I don't know if you know this commercial, but I, it's so, I get it wrong. I don't know if you do, but I get it wrong. You know, I'm, I'm in the moment and I have all these preconceived notions and, and then she says something that might be completely innocent and I just attribute all this meaning. You're, you're questioning my control. You're questioning, you know, and I, I can just overreact completely. And so I think what I wanted to give you guys was three questions that, um, for you to think about women as mothers, as you're, as you're interacting with your daughter. One is, how does your desire to be in control of your daughter affecting your relationship? Um, acknowledge that you do. Uh, Tears and I, we kind of learned to, to, um, to diffuse it because whenever she would be being passive aggressive, I would just go, I squish you like bugs, squish, 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 squish. And it would kind of like give us this laughter that was a little bit better than I really am gonna have to kill you now, you know? So, so you have to kind of figure out by acknowledging that, that you wanna be in control, she wants to be in control and, and talk about it. So you need to ask yourself that first. And then how, to, how can you give your daughter autonomy in some areas? As they grow in control, they need to have control. And maybe it starts small. I'm not saying that, you know, they need to ha- make every decision. You're still their mom. But, but you do need to give areas of their life that they can control and fail and succeed. And, and you're going to have to give up some of that. Um, and then what role do your own insecurities play in your interactions? Um, I think that's a good one. I have to ask... I'm continually asking my kids where their heart is, but I also have to ask myself, where is my heart? What am I really upset about? What am I really reacting to? And so that's women and mothers, mothers and daughters. Well, and just like a woman has a natural bent and desire to control, I mean, and that's a, that's a positive thing that she wants to bring order, right, to her household and so on, and nurture, and, and then the negative is the sinful side of that positive Attribute for man, there's there's a, a similar, you know, deep down need, desire, and the way he's created that is at work that we I think could be part of what's causing tension in fathers and sons. And we go back to Genesis three for this as well. That you see uh, when Eve tasted the apple, it says, "So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was." To be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. I think this is a, it's a, such a tiny phrase, and it's easy to overlook, 
the fact that Adam was standing right there when Eve ate of the apple. We tend to, I always like to think that Adam was off, you know, he was naming the animals or he was doing something else. He was gardening and uh, he was busy while Eve and the serpent were, were having this discussion. But it says that Adam was with her. And uh, most commentators agree that part of what was going on here is Adam did not lead. He didn't take control. He didn't enter in and engage in this. He didn't provide the leadership and protect Eve. And there's, there's an inherent thing in men as a result of this or, or as a part of this that guys are constantly asking the question, your sons are saying, do I have what it takes? Do I measure up? What, what is the, where's the glory that they're seeking? They are searching desperately for a respect uh, in their life, in their heart, in their domain that they, that, you know, I've, I've taken Battle for Men's Hearts and, and they, that's a, a conference for men and, and, or if you've read Wild at Heart, I mean, you can read book after book after book that talk about a man's deep need and longing to show that he has what it takes in this life and that he is going to make his way and earn respect. And, and that's a part of the way God created us. That's a part of the way God created men. And you want your son to, uh, to feel this and to obviously through his relationship with God to discover what it means to make his way. Uh, he's seeking that honor, that respect, and that glory. But that goes sideways too. Um, and how, how does this work itself out in the father-son relationship? Okay, as, as the son is trying to, to do that and, and he rubs up against his dad, the dad can start to feel threatened in his own area, in his own, in, in his respect can be threatened, he feels like, when the son tries to establish himself. Okay, let's, and we're going to take a look at a couple clips and just discuss those. So I, I, most of you, uh, like me, grew up in the 70s and 80s, and you're familiar with some of these movies. So the first clip that we have here is from Ferris Bueller. Okay. All right. In case you've never seen that movie, that's his dad's car that they borrowed and they had it jacked up and were trying to run it in reverse so that miles would come off and they wouldn't get caught that they had taken the dad's car. And um, obviously you see that didn't work out so well for him. Uh, so what, what is taking place in this young man's heart? What is he searching for? Love, okay, he doesn't, he doesn't feel loved. You really see the respect issue playing out, I think, in that clip. Because he doesn't say my dad, I mean, he does say his dad pushes him around, but you don't get the feeling that he's like being abused or anything like that, right? Um, I don't know if it was clear from the clip, but he, his dad loves the car more than him is how he feels. So his dad, in completely goes into his hobby and the car and work and he's absent and he's not around, but he feels unloved, unrespected. He feels invisible, right? He's glad that he's, this is happening so his dad has to deal with him so that he, feel, he doesn't feel, though, that he has any, any bearing. Remember, he is seeking as a man to be respected and to, to, have, to have that to, to be seen, to be known, to, to make his own way, and it's not happening. He feels like he's just under his dad's shadow. But in, in this case, there's a verse in Ephesians 5 that says this. Again, God asks us men to do what's, some of what's hardest for us, which says, Husbands, 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, in that, he's talking specifically about the relationship with the wife. But what I'm talking about is the thing that's inherent in a man is men are inherently, we don't have, we're we're inherently selfish. I mean, all human beings are, right, apart from Christ. But women have a natural nurturing thing that's in, in them so that they at least see children and family and they naturally want to care for them. Guys don't have that. We'd be glad if women will let us to play golf and video games and go hunting every weekend and work on our car all the time and invest in work. And we'd be glad to just totally spend all our time on ourselves if we can. Now, how does that affect the father-son relationship? In this case, I would say part of what's happening is he, uh, when it's hard between him and his son, he goes to work, he invests in work, he invests in his car. He doesn't want to engage with his son. And so he's completely withdrawing in this particular situation. And that's one way. Again, there's a lot of ways this can express itself, but that's one. We got another clip from The Breakfast Club, another great uh, 80s. Well, I think it was a good movie, but a a good 80s movie. Let's see that. All right, we're running out of time, so I'm going to kind of try to go a little quickly through to wrap this up. Um, You know, what's the issue here? You see, it's the same thing that he's desiring, right, is this respect. He is desiring intensely that respect from his dad. Now, this dad is not one that's not engaged or not, or that's ignoring him, right? It's kind of the opposite that can happen. This dad is all in his business and is defining what respect looks like for him. Um, I have a a, a close friend who um, was a star athlete in high school, and his son right now is not a star athlete. And they struggle. He struggles to relate to his son because his own father and him related so well through that medium. And, and uh, that, that can be difficult, right? And, you know, his dad is defining, you're going to be a winner. Win, win, win. You are going to, if you're cool, you're going to prey on the weak. I mean, he's defining what being a man is about. And his son is desperately trying to achieve that. So you can either be completely engaged and be all in your son's business and not give him any room to define that for himself, or you can be completely withdrawn. And I mean, there's lots of different ways. I mean, I feel like there's somewhere in between that we really need to be. Um, Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We want to make them, oh, we want to make our kids over in our own image sometimes. And we want them... Uh, to do that and find that. And one thing that's difficult for us as parents, and, and fathers, I really want to encourage you to do this. And of course, a lot of this bleeds over to fathers and mothers and you know, vice versa when we talk about moms. But there's a mutual respect that can be lost. Sometimes as dads, we want respect so badly. And if we don't feel like we're getting it, we also don't give it. And, and so we have to give our sons that room and give them respect if we want to receive it. And I think that's a very difficult thing uh, for us as we navigate this. Questions I have for dads is, how is your need for respect affecting your relationship with your son? Um, how do you show your son respect in his, in his search for significance? And then what are areas where you see him establish, his, are you seeing him establishing his own identity? And it might be very different from the way you did when you were in high school. Um, so let's move from kind of this, this issue, and again, we're, we're just kind of barely touching the surface here, to what are some pra- practical steps that we can take as parents in these relationships? 
We started with the fall, and now we're going to talk about redemption, redemption. Um, you know, when you brought that baby home from the hospital, it was so cute, and you just couldn't help but love them. They had those teeny tiny fingers and those teeny tiny toes, and God is so smart that he gives them to us in such small packages, don't you think? Because you, you look at a little baby, and you just go, oh, it, they're so lovable and lovely, and then you have a teenager, yeah, and they stamp their foot at you, and they tell you you don't know what it's like to be you, or you just don't understand, and it's not, they're not as lovely and as e- lovable and as easy to love, and they're more a picture of where you were before Christ. Um, Ephesians 2 says, God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions. And whether your child is a Christian or a non-Christian, they're still operating out of a fleshly response to situations. And that can be pretty unlovely. And so because you can identify with their unloveliness and your own sinfulness, and you know that Christ loved you with his steadfast love, he pursued you with his love, you can love your teenager, and, and that love should reflect Christ. And, and don't get me wrong, in those moments where they're so unlovable and you just want to pull your hair out, you got to go back to the cross and go, God, I know that I was just as unlovely, and you have to give me love for this child. But, but they need that unconditional love, that love that says, you can be ugly, and you can be disrespectful, and you can be unkind, and I'm still going to love you. Um, just like you needed it before you came to Christ, that same kind of parallel. So, um, yeah. Just related to that is this idea that we need to not react and take offense sometimes. There are times when they're acting out towards us, and again, for a man, especially that respect issue, or even for the woman, the control issue, is sometimes we need to take a step back and not react uh, that knee jerk that because they're hitting our deepest need too, and and that and that causes us issues. Um, it says in Philippians four, let your gentleness or your reasonableness be known to everyone. We need to be gentle and reasonable with our kids, and we have the advantage of perspective, and we are the grown ups, and so we have to step back and say, hey, wait a second, and take a deep breath and say, I can choose not to take offense at this at this lashing out at this time. Um, there's a quote from The Price of Privilege. It's one of my favorite authors, uh, Madeline Levine. I've mentioned this book many times, but she says this, uh, the young teen who finds fault with her parents and then finds that her parents can tolerate this fault finding has learned an important lesson. No one is perfect and no one feels less perfect than a young adolescent. So parents who can tolerate some criticism from their teens are imparting a valuable lesson that one does not have to be perfect to be okay. For the younger, the youngster who feels like he is under the microscope, whose every pimple is magnified, whose hair and teeth and body are scrutinized constantly for imperfections, a parent's good-natured response to criticism can be a tonic to a teen's ruthless self-criticism. Mm. I think that's valuable, that's wisdom there uh, for us. You know, they're, they're criticizing and looking in the mirror and not liking what they see all the time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they lash out at us. And if we can handle that and bend a little bit, uh, that, can be, that, that can help them to know that they're okay. Um, when 
we told tears, I talked to tears about um, us teaching on this today. And I said, okay, what would be one thing that all your friends would like for their mothers to know? Um, what's one strategy? And she, she said, listen. Um, I would tell all mothers to listen to their daughters. And I thought that was interesting because I don't know if you guys are aware, Pixar's new movie, Brave, just came out. And it's, it's a picture of a mother and daughter relationship and the conflict in that relationship because they have different ideas and they're both fighting for control. And it's a really good study on what we're talking about today. But specifically, the story goes, both of them had forgotten to listen to each other and they had to learn to listen to each other through the circumstances. Um, as you're moving from directing to coaching, um, James 1.19 says that every person should be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to, to act out in anger. Um, and I try to think of it in real practical terms. For me, I try, I'm a real, I'm, I'm a teacher. So I like to have the answer book and I like to, um, to, to command, do the dishes, clean your room. You know, I'm a director. And, and so this whole moving to coaching is kind of moving from ending my sentences with periods to ending them with question marks. You know, instead of do the dishes, it's when are you going to do the dishes? You know, putting them a little bit in control of it. Um, I was talking to a friend this week and she said, it's a real sad thing that we can't just be our children's Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, and, and in that conversation, you know, I think lots of times we try to be that by ending all of our sentences in periods. We want to have the answers and we want to, to allow our children not to need a savior. And, and a lot of their search for and their ownership of their faith is kind of dependent on them ending their sentences with questions and questioning what's going on. And we need to give them the freedom, but we also don't need to be real quick to give them all the answers um, because they have to kind of figure it out themselves. And so that would be another thing that you could do is to just have more question marks. And, and even as you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, I've got to, I'm going to say this to them, you know, just what can I, how can I re-say that with a question mark <laughs> is, is a strategy. Last thing is uh, to give your kids some space. You know, we both mentioned this, that the, to give your daughter some areas where she needs control, to give your sons a domain or an area or realm where he can make his own way and earn some respect uh, and have some identity that is not in your shadow, but also that you're willing to engage with him uh, in that place. And I, I think about this every time, uh, several years ago when I was in Charlotte at a church, I, I, did a, I spoke at a youth retreat. And for another, for a private school, and I was playing foosball with this giant African-American teenager, and I started talking to him and found out that he was Reggie White's son. I don't know if y'all are familiar. Reggie White was a famous um, defensive uh, end for several teams. At the time, he was playing for Charlotte, and he was from Tennessee, which is my alma mater, so I really love Reggie White. Uh, but his son, I, I couldn't wait to find out, you know, I'm, I was sure this giant young man was, was uh, killing it on the football field. And so I asked him, you know, are you following in dad's footsteps? And he was like, no, you know, he hasn't played football at all. Wasn't interested in it. And it just made me wonder about, you know, this kind of thing. Is he, so, he probably didn't want to be in his dad's shadow in that way. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why. You know, there could be a host of reasons why he didn't play football. But 
regardless, I wondered at the time, how hard was that for Reggie to have this giant son who, who clearly had the physical, you know, attributes to be able to do that, and yet he chose not to do that. And, and so, but he has to make his own way. He has to figure it out. He has to find and earn that respect in his own domain. And, and so think about that, um, how we're giving our kids that kind of space. Uh, again, from quoting from Price of Privilege, and I'll end with this, Madeline Levine says this, as our children move through adolescence, uh, we need to welcome their emerging identities. There is sure to be a sense of loss for us, as the child we had fantasized about raising becomes a flesh and blood reality, often quite unlike our fantasies. Our children cannot be assumed to follow in our footsteps, assuage our losses, or compensate for our inadequacies. You know, and that's so true. We have in our minds what our kids are going to turn out like, and then they have their own ideas. And it often is quite unlike what our plans for them are. And Part of when I say give them space, I think about again from Philippians 4, verse 5 says, the Lord is near. God is at hand. He is right there. And he has a plan for your kids and my kids that could be very different from what my expectations for them are. And do I really trust him in his providence to lead them to where he wants them to be? Mm-hmm. And that is where my path needs to take, is to trust God and say, God, here's my child, and I don't know what your plans are for them, but help me to give them the space to become the person that you want them to be, and help me to be their, their chief cheerleader and corrector. And, you know, you want to, you're still, we're still doing all these different things and coaching them as they move from that more directive time to a more of a coaching and supporting time. But, you know, for us to come alongside them at that key time in their life and be, give them that space to figure out and trust that God will lead them where they need to go. So the, the really exciting thing about that is it grows our faith. It grows your faith. As you're having to trust God, you have to grow in your trust of him that we're letting our little birds, you know, fly and we're trusting God to catch them. So that ends our time here on Fathers and Sons and Mothers and Daughters. And again, we just scratched the surface. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website at www.perimeter.org students for more information. Thank you.